Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Faith Community Church. If we've never met before, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to uh, have you today. I was wondering if we'd have anyone in the first service today, since a certain nameless championship football team is playing right now on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, but I'm really glad that you're here. We are continuing our uh, look at the life of Joseph in a series that we're calling The Dungeon, and in this series, we've been exploring uh, something called the providence of God which teaches that God, who created all things, orders and governs all things according to his own infallible purpose. So if you haven't been with us uh, for the rest of this series, maybe this is your first time in church in a while, I'll just begin by saying this then, that yes, there absolutely is meaning in your life. And yes, there absolutely is purpose Uh, to what's happened to you and to what you have done. And this does not mean, the providence of God does not mean that we are robots. It does not mean that our lives and our prayers and our loves and our hates do not matter. It's actually quite the opposite. The doctrine of the providence of God actually amplifies these things and gives to our lives a, a cosmic and eternal meaning and gives to the things that happen in our lives a cosmic and eternal meaning. There is nothing greater that could ever be said about a person than this, that here is one who was created for God's glory and joy. There is nothing you could ever say about a person greater than that. Here is someone created for God's glory and joy, and that is what the scripture says about who we are. One of the best summaries of the doctrine of God's providence is in Romans 8.28, which says, we know that in all things God works for the purpose or for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I hope we've been showing you that in the life of Joseph so far, okay? So we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. That's Genesis chapter 41, verse 1. That'll be on page 34 uh, if you want to borrow a Bible from under the chairs in front of you. Page 34. We've left a whole page since last week. Wow. Just racing through the Bible together. Again, just in case you're joining us for the first time, a quick review. Uh, Joseph's story begins with a 17-year-old boy who has dreams of becoming a great man. His brothers kidnap him and sell him. He is trafficked into slavery in Egypt where he uh, does really well in the house of his master Potiphar. He is falsely accused of assaulting Potiphar's wife. He winds up in prison. His story just goes from bad to worse. But at each stage of the step down, it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And last week, we talked about how the structure of Genesis, there's this really beautiful, uh, really complex structure under the whole story of Genesis. And the point is that beneath the apparent chaos in Joseph's life, God is uh, working out a a powerful current of grace in Joseph's life. And here we pick up in Genesis chapter 41. Everybody there? Say, I'm there. Okay, 41 verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. 
And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation, a young Hebrew was there, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, well, in keeping with the structure of Joseph's story that we talked about last week, we're going to tackle this in three pairs of pairs, okay? Two years, two dreams, and two kings. Everybody got it? You got it? Now you got your whole outline. Two years, two dreams, two kings. Verse one begins with the phrase, after two whole years. Now we began to talk about this last week, but whatever glimmer of hope that Joseph must have had in chapter 39 when one of the king's most influential officials was brought right into his cell, those hopes must have faded by now and it had to be really confusing. Not only, you know, was one of the king's most influential officials there in his cell, but then clearly God was speaking, right? God is giving dreams and then allowing Joseph the ability to interpret those dreams with pinpoint precision. And how confusing must this have been? To, well, and all, we all have this happen. We think that we know what God is doing. We think things are heading this way. Here's what God has said to me. And then suddenly it just does not turn out that way in the end. Two years have gone by since the cupbearer shared his dream. And Joseph knows he has been forgotten. When you go to your boss and ask for a raise, how long do you wait before you know he forgot about you? Two weeks? Maybe a month? In a month you know he forgot about me, right? Two years have gone by, and I can imagine maybe a few days have passed where Joseph has said to himself, I wish I'd never had these stupid dreams. I wish I'd kept my mouth shut. If I'd just given in to that woman, I have tried to honor God with my life. And look where it's landed me, in this pit. Joseph is 30 years old now. Almost half of his life has been sent spent in slavery or in prison. If he lives to the average age of 60 or so, his, his life is half over at this point. So, you know, if, I, if I'm Joseph, I just say, forget sun and moon and stars bowing down to me. Don't you think Joseph wanted some other ordinary dreams as well? To see his dad one more time, to see his home one more time, to see his little brother one more time? 
Don't you think he wanted a girlfriend? To be married someday, to have a family of his own? How hard is it to trust God when it feels like you're just stacking one day on top of another, one week on top of another, one month on top of another, and going nowhere, just waiting? You see the lives of your Christian friends moving along. God just seems to be blessing them. You have friends who don't know anything about the Lord at all. They have no reference at all for what God is doing. They seem to be having fun and enjoying the fruits of their labor. Do you ever wonder sometimes if it's really worth it to honor God with your life? Well, as we said last week, it's, it's in moments like these when our doctrine of the providence of God needs to be met with faith. And faith is is personal trust in the character and the promises of God when I cannot see the whole picture. Faith is trust in the promises and character of God when we are in pain. And we're saying, this is not what I wanted. This does not feel good. But we hear God's word saying, Uh, I am working all things together for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. And the fight of faith is to say, I will trust this, even if I have to hold on by my fingernails. I will believe what God has said to me. So here's lesson number one uh, uh, in living under the providence of God from the scripture this week. Lesson number one is we just need, if we're going to love and trust the providence of God, we need a different perspective on time. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 chronicles a list of people from history who are all singled out as examples of faith. And this is what Hebrews 11.13 says about them. Listen to this. All of these people, Abraham and Noah and Sarah and Joseph and so on, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Now listen to this. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Isn't that an awesome phrase? They are looking for a country of their own. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God and has prepared a city for them. It's just a beautiful passage. After two whole years, God finally moved in the life of Joseph. And if we are going to love and trust the providence of God, we need a very different perspective on how time works. We do not like to wait. Okay, if you're in the McDonald's drive-thru for more than three minutes, you assume something has gone wrong. If it stretches to six, we begin to say, someone must have died in there because there's no Big Mac in my car yet, right? I've been trying to explain to my boys that there was a time in history where if you wanted something, first you saved the money and then you waited around for when mom would drive 30 miles to the nearest big box store and might take you along and it might be there and you might get it six months later. Today, it's dad, I want something. He gets out his phone, swipe right, it'll be here in two days from China, okay? We are not good at waiting for things and we bring a similar expectation to our relationship with God. We pray for something, we assume we've just swiped right, it should be here in two days. He is the king of the universe after all. 
Hebrews 11 reminds us that while Joseph was in the pit for two more years, some of us, it says, will go to our graves still waiting on some of the things that we long most to see. Some of us will go to our graves without ever seeing some of the things that we have wanted most in life. That there, there will be some of us who never get to hold the children that we wanted. Or who will never get to see the children that we do have trusting Christ, though that's our heart's greatest desire. Some of us who want to be married will never be married. Others who are married will never have the kind of marriage that you dreamed of. Some of us will never know full health again. Some of us will have to wrestle until we die with things we've done, things that have been done to us. And if we're going to love and trust in the providence of God, we need a different perspective. There are some things that only heaven will heal. There are some things that only heaven can heal. But they will be healed. And healed completely. The scripture teaches that those who belong to him cannot lose anything in Jesus. Cannot lose anything in Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing, Paul says, not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. One of the things that we've been promised is that a day is coming when what we have endured will seem to us something akin to a dream that's gone. And then joy forever and ever. Psalm 8411 says, there is no good thing which the Lord withholds from those whose walk is blameless. Let me say that to you again. There is no good thing that the Lord withholds from him whose walk is blameless. Here are a couple of examples from an English minister named Maurice Roberts. He says, take the example of a Christian father and mother. They brought up their children in this world in the ways of God, but both died before they heard of the salvation of any of their family. To all outward appearances, the parents' labor of love was lost. Their sons and daughters saw no need of God or of the Savior, but loved the things of this world. And with a sigh, both parents closed their eyes at death on a family whose only religion is worldly pleasure. Imagine then their joy in the glory of heaven to see their once rebellious children coming home to Christ one by one. Picture their ecstasy as they hear the story of how the Holy Spirit graciously won them with the recollection years after their parents' death of truths that were taught by their parents and exemplified in their lives. Or, he says, here's another example, let us imagine a poor woman in England during the darkness of the Middle Ages. God has opened her eyes by some means to see the glory of God in the face of Christ alone. And with inward sighs, she prays to God for her land and for a brighter day to dawn upon the whole world, but never lives to see any of it. She dies before the 16th century and she goes to heaven. Picture her joy in the last day then when she learns that her many prayers on earth have come up as a memorial offering to God. 
And in answer to her lifelong yearning for revival, God gave her a descendant, John Wycliffe by name, who was like the morning star to all the world. John Wycliffe was the first to translate the, the Bible into English. In due course, that light of the gospel broke out not just over England, but over Europe and all mankind. He says, not in this brief life here below, surely, are we to discover that God answers prayer. After two whole years, it says, God is never early. He is never late. We said last week that one of the things that the doctrine of of God's providence is meant to do is to create patient and hopeful Christians. I would add this week that one of the places that patience and hope manifests itself most clearly is in the way that we pray. Christians who believe in the providence of God pray and they pray and they pray and they pray. And when they do not see what they are praying for, they keep praying. Because they know they are talking to an omniscient, all-powerful God in heaven. And they have a different understanding on time. I was reflecting on this this week. And you know, when I think about the grace of God in my own life, just the, the history of my family and how things have gone. I've talked about this before. Many of you have heard me talk about my grandmother. You know, I, I trace my spiritual line, you know, kind of through my grandparents. And my grandmother is one of those young people who just made a lot of wrong decisions in her 20s. And then she paid with, for them uh, with the rest of her life. I've shared this story with you before if you've been around for a little while. She, she returned to Christ in her 30s and remained faithful to him all the way until she died against great obstacle. And the number one obstacle was her husband. My grandpa was just a really hard man. He did not love the Lord. He did not know the Lord. And he only finally surrendered to Jesus months before he died very unexpectedly. And I heard, now I just learned sometime in the last few years, I learned that uh, his grandfather was known throughout central Indiana for his piety and his love for God. And I just thought, what must he have been praying for in 1860? What was he praying for? How he must have prayed for his children and his grandchildren with tears day after day after day. And who could have foreseen the winding path that his grandchild's life would take? And yet here I am to tell you, Max and Millie's grandchild, you can trust the living God. And he will do abundantly more than you could ask or what's the next word? Imagine. I have a great imagination. And the promise is he's going to do even more than that. So if two whole years pass by, or 20 years, or God asks you to endure even longer than that, keep praying and waiting and trusting in your providential God. Joseph spent 13 years in the pit and in slavery You may be asked to stay longer, but you can do so knowing a day is coming and coming soon when all hurts will be healed and all made whole again. One last reflection on this little phrase. This is from Alistair Begg. He says, dear ones, writing about the phrase two whole years, dear ones, there's going to have to be something more in us. 
There's going, to be have to, there's going to have to be something about the church that is absolutely otherworldly. That we're saying to the world, yes, we enjoy the pleasures God has given us on earth. But in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our illness and in the midst of apparent non-success, we do not live without God and certainly not without hope because we know that there is yet to come out of this dungeon all the glory of a father who knows best. Do you know God in that way, he asks. I'd ask you the same. Do you know God in that way? Joseph knew, and God was with him, and because of his confidence in the living God, when his time came, Joseph was ready. So, two dreams. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, verse 2, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, good-looking cows, and they fed in the grass, and behold, seven nasty cows come up out of the Nile and stand by them, and then the ugly, thin cows eat The seven cows, everyone said, gross. And Pharaoh awoke, yeah. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And there's seven years of grain and they're nice. And then these seven nasty grain, eat them. In the morning, he wakes up and he's disturbed. Yeah. Not super complicated, but just a few things. Again, notice the dreams come in pairs. So it's a signal that the living God is speaking now. God is breaking into this story. But Pharaoh's troubled Because he believes that the gods are speaking to him. Gods, plural. The gods of Egypt are speaking to him. But this is really interesting. Uh, They're not speaking the way they normally do. He takes this to the wise men and magicians, and they're stumped. I've always thought that was interesting. Why why, why can't you just make something up? I think that the answer is because in in a pagan religious context, the gods are either angry, they're going to give you seven nasty cows, and if that, if that were the dream, you know, the wise men would say, well, this is pretty straightforward. The gods are mad at you. You've been neglecting their temples and the sacrifices have fallen off. You need to take care of it. Or uh, God is going to bless you. Seven happy cows. And hey, Pharaoh, you're doing great. The gods love you. Take a day off. Have a baby. It'll be a boy. We promise. Or something like that. This doesn't fit the mold. There's a qualitative difference between when the gods speak and when God speaks, and they're stumped. Now remember, the Nile is a symbol of, Israel, of Egypt's power and prosperity, okay? So if, you, if you're American, you have a dream about the Potomac, okay? And giant buildings uh, next to them, and cows and grain are more than cows and grain, okay? He who has the most cows has the biggest house and the biggest armies and the best life, okay? So think uh, battleships and bull markets, okay? So here you have uh, our our big four, power, prosperity, security, and well-being. It might as well be a a dream about the St. Croix Valley, right? Okay, power, security, prosperity, and well-being. And Pharaoh can't put his finger on it, but something's really weird about this dream. He's really troubled. He's feeling threatened. Uh, So let me just ask you, what do you do when your power, security, prosperity, and well-being are threatened? What do you do? You call the magicians, right? Charles Schwab and Morgan Stanley and MetLife Insurance and Dr. Phil and the Mayo Clinic. And we say, I heard a recession's coming. I read this article. The bottom's about to fall. Can you tell me the future? What's going to happen? Can you protect my assets? Can you secure my stuff? Can you fix this disease in my body? Can you make my relationships whole again? And on and on and on. We call the magicians and the wise men. Now thank God for the Mayo Clinic and for good insurance. 
But Pharaoh is a great picture for us of what life looks like when you're not trusting in the providence of God in your life. And what a contrast with Joseph, who's on the other side of town, in a pit, in a dungeon, with nothing that the world values. He has no power. He has no security, very little well-being, and so on. It's, a, it's, it's good and normal, okay? When we're reading stories in the Bible, it's good and normal, and it's fine for you to try to put yourself in the story. I just want to tell you, you're not Joseph in this story. You're Pharaoh. We here in the St. Croix Valley are Pharaoh. And we're the ones with the dreams that don't make sense, whose first instinct when things get threatened is to call the magicians. I just, as I was reading this this week, I just had this amazing kind of juxtaposition in my mind of Pharaoh, you know, here's the St. Croix Valley over here, and on the other side of town is a nameless dirty Jew in a pit who actually has all the answers. But we don't care. We don't care until skinny cows start eating the big ones. And we wake up like, what the heck was that all about? Somebody get the nameless Jew over here. And that's the way that we treat Jesus, right? Most, let's just, most of us would not be here except for that crisis somewhere back in our lives where we said, the skinny cow ate my fat one. And I don't know what to do anymore. And here you are. The cupbearer at this moment, verse 9, finally has this moment of recognition and he says to Pharaoh, oh, geez, Pharaoh. Big time screw up. So sorry. And then he tells him the whole story about Joseph. There's this kid. He interpreted the dreams. He was exactly right. And here I am. And the baker, you stuck him on a stick or something like that. And it says, verse 14, and Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And I love it. They quickly brought him out of the pit. I just love it. They sent for Joseph. And it's like, now, after 13 years, it's like one hour and Life is completely changed. And here we have the, the second lesson about the providence of God. God is never late. He is never early. Well, he, who's that? Gandalf, right? You know, the wizard. You guys don't care about Lord of the Rings. He's never early, and he is never late. He is just in time. And this is the moment God has been waiting for. He brings Joseph out at just the right time in just the right way. I was thinking about this this week. What if the cupbearer had done what Joseph asked two years earlier? Why would Pharaoh care about a Jew in prison two years earlier? I don't know that anything would have happened. It's the apparent, you know, we, we talked about this last week, but it's the apparent arbitrariness of everything that, that's the problem. Okay, so, so the, the, the cynical or the skeptical mind would say, well, we're talking about God. Why doesn't he just give him the dream two years earlier, right? Doesn't that make sense? Why put Joseph through all this stuff? Or better yet, why have any of this stuff happen at all? Why is evil present at all and all these other things? So I'm talking about this with Darcy. We're out on a walk. I didn't tell her I was going to use her name this morning. Good morning, Darcy. It's good to see you. I'm talking about this with Darcy. And she says, you have to remember that there are like 10 billion things going on all the time off stage that we don't know anything about. The fact is that Joseph's brothers still need to be changed. This last part of Genesis is actually about Joseph and Judah. We haven't talked about that. We skipped all of chapter 38, but it's actually about Joseph and his brother Judah because Judah is not ready for what God has called him to do yet either. 
So there's this whole thing going on in Canaan. There's this promise that God made to Abraham that he was going to wait with the people of Canaan. There's still time for them to repent and so on and so forth. There's a famine coming that's going to affect hundreds of thousands of lives. There are just so many things going on. There's just, we're just not in a position to get to play Monday morning quarterback. There's this uh, spot in John chapter 20 where John says, if we were to write down everything that Jesus did, it would fill all the books in all the world. That is an understatement, actually. A huge understatement. And at some point, as creatures, we just need to come to the place where we say, you know what, I'm just not God. And I just can't know. But he has said, I can trust him, and I will. If we were talking about someone other than Jesus, okay, But we are talking about Jesus who gave himself for me when I was his enemy. And if he says I can trust him, I will. Even if at times I'm hanging on by my fingernails to what he said to me. Here we see in this story, even over the forgetfulness of people, God is sovereign. The cupbearer forgets Joseph until exactly the right moment. There is nothing random or haphazard that happens in our lives. You remember last week we said, whatever things may look like on the surface, below it is a deep, irresistible current of God's grace. And for those who are waiting on the Lord, hoping in the Lord, for those willing to listen and to continue trusting, he really is working all things together for your good. Last thing then, 2 Kings, verse 14. And when Joseph had shaved himself and changed his clothes, just an indication by the author that it's not a happy place that he's coming from. When he'd shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it, but I heard about you. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it isn't me, but God will give Pharaoh an answer. I'd said earlier, you know, if the cupbearer had remembered Joseph even two days earlier, would Pharaoh have cared? We could add to that now, if if the cupbearer had remembered Joseph even two days earlier, would he have been ready to hear that kind of a response from Joseph? Uh, The very existence of this man Joseph and his confession of faith about another God who is not an Egyptian God is a threat to everything Pharaoh believes in. In one sentence, Joseph has made Pharaoh's entire worldview obsolete. And he's just declared all the wise men and and, uh, magicians of Egypt as obsolete. How well do you think that would have gone two, two days before? Probably not well, but when our, because when our circumstances are happy and prosperous, the real God, the living God, is easy to ignore. In fact, his, his existence represents a threat to our little kingdoms. But when our security and our well-being are threatened and we discover that our magicians and our wise men are inadequate, we become remarkably open to what God has to say. And, and this is the last lesson, Then the question really is, Will we be sufficiently impressed with God's messenger to listen when the time comes? 
You know, several months ago, and I think it was back in May, we read together the story of a man named Naaman uh, in the Old Testament. He was a lot like Pharaoh. Remember, there was one day, uh, Naaman woke up, he had leprosy, it's going to kill him, and a servant girl in his house says, you really need to go to Israel, there's this guy named Elisha who will take care of this for you. So Naaman gets in his chariots, he gets his whole retinue together, and he goes to Elisha's house, this is from 2 Kings chapter 5, and one of the servants uh, comes out and says hi, and goes back in, he says, Elisha, there's this guy wants to heal you of him. He wants to be healed of leprosy. Elisha didn't even leave his cornflakes. He doesn't even look up from his paper. He just says, just go tell him. Dip himself in the Jordan seven times. He'll be fine. So the servant goes back out to Naaman, who's like a really big deal. He says, you know, I'm sorry, Mr. Naaman. I just need to let you know. This is what Elisha said. Just go wash in this dirty little creek on your way home, and uh, you're going to be just fine. And what does Naaman do? He storms off. Turns his chariots around, they pull out of there, everybody's really mad, and uh, one of his servants has the presence of mind to say, Naaman, come on. If he'd, if he'd come out and told you to do something really hard, do a thousand push-ups and you'll be healed, you'd have done it. Because you get to prove, you know, how amazing and how awesome you are. Is it really going to be that bad? Just to humble yourself and get in some dirty water? Couldn't you do that? And uh, Naaman, in, in the end, he does, he, he, he does that. But th- this is the challenge for pharaohs, and I, we are. This is the challenge to pharaohs. Often there's a readiness to admit. Yes, I need to be cleansed. Yes, I hear what you're saying about the insecurity of my dreams. But I will be damned if I'm going to turn over to this silly Jesus. You're prepared to come. You're prepared to be religious. You're prepared to give. But not to bow the knee to King Jesus. Not to be one of those silly, sappy people have given up control of their lives to a God they cannot see. No, 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 no. Not ready to do that. Well, may God have mercy on us enough to respond the way that Pharaoh did when he says, I'm troubled enough to listen to this man, even a man fresh out of the dungeon. I need to know. May he give us then, the, the church, may God give us the grace to respond the way Joseph did. When the world turns to us and says, I hear you're good at dreams. I hear you're good at making sense out of of life for people. I've heard you've healed marriages. I hear you've seen addicts addicts come clean. I've heard about your wonderful youth and children's programs. I've heard about the fun you have together and the joy you have in in each other's company. And I'm hurting. May God give us the grace together to say it's, it's not in us. It's not in us. What you're looking for is in Jesus. And you have to meet him. You've got to get to him. You've got to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus, and we'll help you. This is the beginning of all real ministry. I'm sorry. I'm not the one that you want. You need to get to Jesus. That's not just the beginning of all Christian ministry. It's, the be- it's how we become Christians. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to know that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home and that your destiny is not to be lost in hell forever? Jesus was a man just like Joseph, a Jew, with nothing that this world values to commend him to us, a poor and homeless servant of all, yet he claimed to be the Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. He was crucified for our sin and cast into a pit like Joseph. But God raised him from the dead And despite all appearances, Jesus is who he said he was. And at this moment, reigns over everything. 
including your life. And he calls pharaohs, he calls people like us to come, but you have to say, I cannot do it. I cannot tip the scales in my favor. I cannot make myself righteousness, righteous enough. God is drawn to a heart like that. We confess that God creates a heart like that and draws us. And when we say to God, I cannot do it, his response is, I know. I've done everything. I've given my son, then raised him from the dead that you might have life in him too. Do you believe that? Would you, t- would you tell him now that you believe that? I'm going to invite everyone to pray. Let's just pray before we leave this morning. If, if that's you this morning, I invite you to speak to God this morning. As we're leaving, if you're heading out to do children's ministry or you're leading a missional community this afternoon, I just want to invite you to pray and ask God to do what you cannot do. And if, if there's anything that you have been praying for and waiting for and you still have not seen, I invite you to bring it to the Lord again, right now in prayer. Father in heaven, together as your people gathered in your name today, we bring one another before you. We ask that you would hear the prayers of your people. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are longing for the day of your return. In the meantime, would you bless these people? Bless them. Let them see the things that they've longed for. Thank you.